Oh, it's great to have be here, it really is, and thank you that we can meet together like this uh, around the word of the Lord. Well, if you've got your Bible still opened at that wonderful passage that uh, uh, James read to us, and James, bless you for reading that, all those awful names at the end there. Oh, thank you, brother. So it's great. We've uh, been looking at a little uh, series uh, back around the corner at uh, the uh, Free Church. We've been looking at walking by faith and not by sight. So I want to begin tonight by asking you, how good's your memory? How good is it? I wonder as we get older if we can remember conversations we perhaps had 45 years ago. Do you remember anything? I struggle to remember anything was said to me yesterday. Alison's always saying to me, she said, I told you that. Did you? <laughs> I do listen, believe you me. But I'm sure that... Unless it was a real life-changing conversation, then I'm sure that most of us would be hard-pressed to remember any one particular conversation we may have had. But this remarkable 85-year-old man, Caleb, that we met in that passage that James read to us, he remembered a conversation all too well that both he and Joshua had had with Moses. The man, verse 8, Caleb calls the man of God. God's appointed leader, the leader of his chosen people, the one who'd led people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the desert, into the wilderness, ready to go into the promised land. And the conversation related back to a command that God had given to his people 45 years before in Kadesh Barnea. I don't want you to turn to it because I've got it written down here. But Deuteronomy 1 tells us this. It says, see the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. That's what God said through Moses to his people Israel. Cedric Belfrage. There's a name. Does that mean anything to anybody? No. Okay, well, let me enlighten you. He was the man who was recently exposed as being a key spy during and after the Second World War. What happened was in the 1930s, Belfrage had gone to live and work in America as a, as a, a film critic. That's what he was doing there. And while he was there, he was recruited by the British Civil Service. So he ended up working for both MI6 and for the FBI. But what neither of those agencies realised at the time was that Belfrage, because of his, his work in Hollywood, he saw all this opulence, he saw all of the, the wrong side of life, the wealth, the terrible ways that people lived. It turned him and he became very politically left-wing in his views. So much so that it led him to pass information to enemies of the West. Well, of course, spying on enemies isn't just the domain of men like Belfrage or fictional characters like George Smiley. Spying's been an accepted age-old strategy of warfare that's gone on for many, many years. In Deuteronomy 1, we read that Moses, he appointed leaders to assist him in judging the people. When issues came up, instead of him having to take the, the brunt of it all, he was to pass some of these ideas, these um, issues, amongst these leaders of Israel. 
Well, these same leaders came to him and suggested that before they commit to going into the land that God had given them, perhaps they should send spies in first to check out the land. Now, we may think that advice made good sense. Moses certainly did, because that's what he says in the Bible. So a representative of each of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, was selected to go and look over the land. Well, as Christians, what might seem right to us may in fact demonstrate that instead of us being men and women who are living by faith, believing and trusting in what God says to us through his word, our wanting further proof of what God's saying to us just demonstrates the opposite, that we're walking by sight, we're walking by what we see, rather than being men and women who love and trust God and are prepared to walk by faith in what God's word has to say to us. Think back to what God said to Israel. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. He's given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. That's what God said. This was the promise that God had made years and years before to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, that God's people would inherit the land that he would give them. All they needed to do now was to obey God and to go and take possession of that land. Well, it begs the question of you and me tonight as God's people, if we, like Israel at times, are guilty of hedging our bets with God, just as the Israelites are doing here, rather than wholeheartedly obeying what God says, putting our trust in his word and stepping out in faith, in reality, our failure to trust God can at times just demonstrate that we're like the rest of these 12 spies sent out by Moses. Those who were guilty of not putting their trust wholeheartedly in God's word, just as Caleb and Joshua did. And our failure to step out in faith and trust God means that we miss out on the blessings, the many blessings that God wants to give us. So firstly tonight, we're thinking about walking by faith that demands wholehearted obedience to God. Walking by faith demands wholehearted obedience to God. Well, I'm sure you've been just as inspired as I have to read stories about men and women who over the years have demonstrated, like Caleb, that wholehearted commitment to God. Men and women who, as James 1 verse 22 says, not only hear the word, but they do what it says. Last Sunday evening we were looking at the first part of this and we were thinking about men and women who did walk by faith and I highlighted George Muller. I'm sure George Muller's name will be very familiar to most of us because he was a man who relied solely on God to provide for his needs. His byword was Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And that summed up the whole of Muller's life. The whole of his life. Because he witnessed through his prayers of faith that God did indeed provide. He never failed. He never let them down. And he answered them daily. Requests for food. Requests for people to come and work in the orphanages. Requests for the orphanages to be equipped. And God never let them down. God did indeed provide. Well, another great example of a man who wholeheartedly uh, committed and and obedience to God brought about a huge change for many, many people was Dr. Martin Luther King. 
A man whose steadfast belief in God and his wholehearted commitment to God's word led him to walk in faith in such a way that it changed the attitude of many in America towards black men and women. I'm sure that many of you will have read some of Dr. King's I Had a Dream speeches. And I just want to read a little extract from one of those speeches tonight. Because Dr. King said this, he said, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. What Caleb saw and reported back to Moses was that land, that place that God had given to his people, a place that by God's grace would be a land where the rough places would become fertile plains, where every hill and mountain obstacle of the people that were living in that land, those who practiced idolatry, those who offered child sacrifice, those who worshipped other gods, they would be made low. And the glory of the Lord would indeed be revealed among God's people in that place. And Caleb and Joshua, they saw this for themselves. They saw that promise. By faith, they went into the land along with the other spies in the knowledge of God's word, in the promises of God's word. Don't be discouraged, is what God said. Don't be afraid. By faith... They knew that God would go before them. He would provide for them. He would care for them. He would love them. And he would honour his promises. And what Caleb saw was indeed that land that did indeed flow with milk and honey. Verse 7b, he says, I brought back a report according to my convictions. But the other ten spies sent out by Moses didn't. They said this, this is from Numbers 13. We went into the land in which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and its cities are fortified, and they're huge, they're large. Well, just remember what God had said when he commanded them to go and take possession of the land. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. But sadly, like these ten spies, we too can so often be guilty of allowing fear of what might lie ahead for us to discourage us. It can really discourage us. And when that happens, we forget God's promises to us. And then rather than us walking by faith in him and trusting in his word, we become a mirror image of what we see here. A people who, although they've been set free from slavery, they've been brought out of captivity of their past, they still failed to trust God. They still failed to trust God. I came across this quote this week while I was doing my prep. It said, God brought us out in order to bring us in. God brought us out in order to bring us in. Well, God's bringing us out was out from the slavery of sinfulness. And he's done that through the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his bringing us out of slavery to sin was in order that he might make us righteous before him. So as to bring us into his kingdom. God brought us out 
in order to bring us in. What that means for us is acknowledging with thankfulness in our hearts what God's done for us. And by coming in repentance before him, surrendering ourselves to him, learning through his word that we need to depend on him. So that when we do step out in faith, he will protect us and we will know that. He will provide for us and we will know that. Well, is that us today? Is that us today? Because God calls on us as his people that we do go out into this sinful world and we take possession of it for Christ. That's what God calls us to. By faith, we shouldn't be afraid of what might lie ahead as we go and do God's will. God calls us to step out in faith wholeheartedly, putting our trust in him just as Caleb did. Well, Dr. Martin Luther King's wholehearted commitment to God spoke into the fears of many in America at that time. That great fear of the unknown. Many of us will remember that time quite vividly. There was that fear that resists change. There was that fear of the unknown. And we know that fear can only be truly overcome when we do step out in faith. When we trust God to deal with all those things that may seem gigantic issues to us. But when we do step out in faith, then invariably what we find is that God's already gone before us and smoothed the ground for us. Well, as you and I know, Dr. King didn't live to see his dream come to fruition But I'm sure he would have rejoiced to see that 40 odd years later, America elected their first black president, Barack Obama. Caleb, on the other hand, he did live to see God's promise, that land that God had promised him. Because he and Joshua, the only uh, men of fighting age who came up out of Egypt, they were the only ones that God allowed to enter the promised land of that generation so secondly tonight waiting on God's promises well according to data that's compiled by the social security administration it's all to do with money isn't it a man reaching age 65 today can expect to live on average until he's 84.3 well I'm 65 this year so I hope it's going to 84.3 a woman turning 65 today can expect to live on average until she's 86.6. Why do women live longer? We'll debate that some other time, eh? And those are just averages, because about one out of every four 65-year-olds today will live past 90, and one out of 10 will live past 95. Just look again at Joshua 14, down at verses 10 and 11. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Well, this afternoon, just a few of us uh, from the uh, Free Church, we had the privilege of taking the service at Compton House the fifth Sunday, so we were around there. And it's always good to be in the presence of many of our dear elderly saints that uh, reside around there. Many of them have worked tirelessly throughout their lives. 
And many were probably older than Caleb was when he had this conversation with Joshua. But look what Caleb says here, verse 11. He says, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go into battle as I was then. Are we as vigorous as that today? To go out to the battle for the Lord as we were perhaps when we were 40? Well, apologies if anybody's not quite reached 40 yet. (laughs) But God made a promise to Caleb. That unlike the rest of those of military age, those who grumbled against God, Caleb would indeed enter the land that God had given them. And he acknowledges here that God has kept him alive for 45 years since, in order that he would be able to go and take possession of that land. Well, you know, I believe this is a really wonderful illustration of how God wants us to be in our spiritual lives as we advance in years. Notice I didn't say get older, I said advance in years. Because you see, growing older doesn't mean that we become any less active for God. No, it's rather the opposite, as Caleb gives testimony to here. Ali and I had the privilege of knowing a wonderful man. He was 98 uh, down in Brighton just before he uh, went home to glory. Uh, He was so on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. It was amazing. At 98, he used to witness to young people like you've never heard before. And they were just so fascinated with what this man had to say to them about Jesus. He was also a Gideon. And he was actively serving God right up until the end. Even in his last days down at the Royal Sussex County when he was not very well, he was talking to fellow patients about Jesus. He was giving out tracts. He was handing out those little red Gideon Bibles that they give out, telling people about what they should do at the beginning if they're upset, what pages to look at. This was this man. His name was James Clark. It's not the same guy at the top of the road, by the way. But James was just amazing. He really was. Well, as many of us get older, do we have that same passion, that same strength and vigour to do God's will today, to go out into the battlefields of unbelief that are right on our doorsteps? Because the battle is here, isn't it? Are our hearts like Caleb's wholeheartedly for God? Ready and eager through the gospel of Jesus Christ to drive out unbelief and to win souls for the Lord? Well, we can only do these things in the Lord's strength. And in his timing, as Caleb recognised here. And sometimes we might have to wait patiently for God to act, just as Caleb did. And like him, we're not to give up on God's promises to us. But by faith, we're to eagerly be waiting for that day when God releases us to go and fulfil his work. Just look at verses 12 down to 15. He says this, now give me the hill country that the Lord promised that day. You yourselves heard that the Amalekites were there and that their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephonu, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephanu, the Kenazite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. That's what we read. So finally tonight, God's promise fulfilled. 
Those ten spies that brought back a bad report to Moses, they caused that nation to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation was gone. This is what they said to Moses. This is what annoyed and angered God. We can't attack these people because they're stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. They'd forgotten all of God's promises, haven't they? The origins of these Anakites, they go back to Genesis 6, to another group of giants called the Nephilim. Hebrew word for Nephilim means fallen ones. In men's eyes, they were men of renown. They were even regarded as heroes. But before God, God regarded them as fallen ones, sinners. The NIV text note was very, very helpful here because it says that they were ripe for judgment. That's what it says about them. And God's judgment was about to come on the land through Joshua and Caleb as they purged that land that God has given them of all evil. Well, I'm sure you could probably compile a much better list than ever I could of the so-called giants of today. Those who over the years men have looked up to and followed just think back through history. People like Hitler, Stalin, Ceausescu, Mao, Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi, Pinochet. You could probably add to the list. And we read here that Caleb said, with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. With the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Well, it made me think when I was doing my prep this week, I wonder who or what might the Anakites be that we face today as Christians. I wonder what they are, those giants, those giants that we could be a little bit afraid of. Governments perhaps? Governments that seem to be set on dismantling Christianity from our society? Especially with some of the recent laws that they've passed that are heavily in favour of things that go against God's word. I don't need to highlight them, you know what they are. And with God's help, we need to challenge them. What about schools forced to teach that homosexuality is a perfectly normal practice that should be celebrated? With God's help, we can challenge these things. The Chancellor's idea that Sunday training goes to 24-7, all the shops open as long as you like. With God's help, we can change these things. The assisted suicide bill that we spoke about this morning around the corner that's due to go before the Commons in September. With God's help, we can drive these things out. These and more are the Anakites we face today. Not just the obvious, the, uh, the Islamic problem of this world. We can see that as not a problem. Some of these things I've mentioned, they tend to hide in the pages of newspapers, don't they? And unless they go onto the news or, on, or we read about them, we don't get to have that opportunity to have a voice against them. Those are the Anakites that we face today. But you know, I believe that one of the biggest giants we face is really evident here in Linfield. It really is. And it was wonderfully articulated in this month's Evangelicals Now. Does anybody have this here? Do you have this paper here? You don't, Evangelicals Now? 
Okay. This was a little article that was written in this paper by a pastor who'd moved to London. He'd moved to a very small church in London, in Kew. And what he said really applies to us here. He said this, Intellectual pride and morality have seemingly sapped and usurped any genuine need for the gospel. That's what he said. Intellectual pride and morality have seemingly sapped and usurped any genuine need for the gospel. That's true of this place, isn't it? Very true. On the face of it, these giants are huge. How do we take on governments? How do we transform apathy into a hunger for the gospel? Well, of course, on our own we can't. But if, like Caleb, we put our trust wholeheartedly in God and we're prepared to step out in faith, then as he says here, with the Lord helping, we shall certainly drive them out. While I've been talking, has anybody remembered a conversation they had 45 years ago? No? How about a conversation with God? Maybe a conversation like Caleb's, one in which God may have made a promise, made a promise to us. Little story. Our son is 35 years old and he went to church all through his young life. He was even baptised in a a big charismatic church down in Brighton. And he was working for the church. And then two things happened. He lost his job because they decided to cut back and he also lost his best mate his best mate was killed in a car crash and Ross never forgave himself that he wasn't with him because he'd been invited to go well that touched his faith obviously and since then apart from heydays and holidays and coming to his old dad's induction he's hardly stepped foot in a church But I'm holding on to a promise that God gave to me years ago when he was born. 35 years ago. This boy belongs to me. This boy belongs to me. I'm holding on for that promise of God to come right. We may be still promising, waiting for promises that God's given us to come into fulfilment. But like Caleb... We might just have to hold fast for a while. We might have to wait faithfully and patiently. Maybe for 45 years. I don't know. But for him, God brought about that promise and the fulfilment. And those giants were dealt with. When he and Joshua went into that land, we read that the land was subdued. And the land had rest from war. It's the last little bit that we read in that passage tonight we need to stand on the promises of God we need like Caleb to be walking in faith walking in the promises of God in what he's telling us today yes there's giants in this world yes they're formidable but with the Lord's help we can deal with those giants just as Caleb did may God bless his word to us tonight Amen. Amen